Hello and welcome back to the Guns on Pegs podcast. This is episode 10 of series two. I'm joined as usual by Chris Horn, Managing Director of Guns on Pegs. Chris, it's the last episode in the series. It's the last one, but we've got our big announcement. And I think that it's really fitting that we've managed to line this one up for the last episode. So I'm really pleased about that. So last time out, we mentioned that we've been planning for the summer and we talked about wanting to have a bit of a party. So I ca- I'm, so, I'm so pleased with this. The Game Fair have stepped up to the mark in the best way possible. They have given the, the Guns on Pegs podcast the enclosure by the main arena on the Saturday night of the Game Fair for up to 300 of our listeners to have a right old booze up. I I'm so pleased and huge thank you to the Game Fair for embracing this uh, this laugh that we want to have. So they've really kicked it off in the right fashion. It's basically now up to our listeners to make it amazing. So as I've mentioned before, we want to hear from you. If you want to be part of the party, what are you going to do? What are you going to bring? What are you going to offer to everyone else that's also going to be a part of that party? Email us, please. We're dying to hear from you now. It's gathering pace quickly. Pod at gunsonpegs.com. I want a fire eater. I want to know, if there's a fire eater out there, or if you know a fire eater, let us know. <laughs> I'll, I'll be asking our guest in a minute if he can uh, fulfill that role. Yeah, well, so on that note, Chris, for the for the last episode, we've decided to go out with a, if you'll excuse the pun, a bang. So tell us about our guest today. Indeed, this is the the steel shot episode. There's a lot of talk going on at the moment. We felt we uh, we felt we had to go there. Quite a tricky one, really, because the chat we've got on as our guest is a good friend of mine, and we never have serious conversations, and I'm worried that today's could be vaguely serious. <laughs> so for this episode, we have one of, if not the most uh, appropriate people uh, as our guest, the managing director of the UK's largest shotgun cartridge manufacturer, and the person who's grown it into that position, I think. That's the best way and a, the best sort of intro I can give you, Paul. It's Paul James. Welcome. Thanks, guys. That was a that was a big intro. Uh, yeah, all true. But thank you very much. It's it's really good to have you with us, and I'm really looking forward to our chat. Um, so, should we get straight on with it? Do Paul, what's that you're drinking? Uh, a nice little plug coming on. So, I've got some Game Ball Dark Storm Pilsner, oh. which uh, I actually had actually had brewed uh, by a good guy I met uh, in when we were out shooting one day. Um, a uh, guy called Sam Brown that uh, runs Church Farm Brewery in Warwickshire. So what we do is every year we get some uh, couple of thousand bottles brewed by Sam, uh, get some custom labels drawn up with some quirky graphics, and we use them for all our events and customer gifts at Christmas, etc. So I'm getting high on my own supply. Fantastic. How, how do people get their hands on it? I mean, I can tell you from the podcast garters that we give away, they're in high demand. Stuff like this will go down well. How do people get their hands on some Game Board Darkstorm? Pilsner. And can we have some for our party? Yes, please. <laughs> I think I think I'm breaking up at the moment. Like, can you still hear me, guys? Are you asking for freebies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't dodge that question. <laughs> no, I think I th- I'm, I'm not sure actually what we've got. I'm not trying to get out of this because we we do normally give them for customer sort of gifts and with with events not really happening in the last year. I didn't I didn't get too many in so. I would say it might be a struggle at the moment. I might have a few cases kicking around for you guys, uh, but to sort of <laughs> cater for your full party might be a struggle. Okay, well, a, a special drink for 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 you, me, and George at the at the party. We'll be the only ones drinking Absolutely. it. <laughs> Absolutely. Perfect. Uh, it's really cool, though. What a nice idea for, for for your customers and for those events to have um, specially branded, specially brewed beer. Really nice idea. Yeah, and sort of to keep them, let's say premium and in demand like you know you guys are just saying there it's we don't do thousands and thousands and they're, they're readily available so it is it is a bit of a treat for the customers at the air end to get some custom custom beers in and it's it's good quality uh booze as well it's not just you know cheap labeled it's uh, it's come from a nice little micro brewery and it's yeah really good drink yeah i was going to ask tasting notes they would normally go for the uh, alcoholic strength in 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 the north of england rather than the tasting notes but it tastes pretty good <laughs> I, the last time I had Game Ball Darkstorm Pilsner was in Germany on the Sunday. I swear it was a Sunday at Iwa uh, when we were sitting on your stand. And I had the biggest hangover going. And you said, want a beer? And I literally, I was almost seeing double at the point that you offered it to me. So uh, <laughs> I can't tell you yeah. what it tastes like. <laughs> no, it's, to be fair, it's pretty good. And we actually we actually had some, it was a toss up between the Darkstorm Pilsner or uh, a Game Ball Shot Tower Gin. We had, we had a load of uh, 
custom gin done as well, which is which is pretty cool. But I thought four o'clock on a Wednesday, just sneaking out of the office, maybe a beer is probably a, a bit better than getting straight on the uh, G and Ts. You need need to take a leaf out of George's book. He gets the hard stuff in straight away. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. George, George, <laughs> have you followed suit this week? Well, I have, and actually. Um... I need to give a special shout out to uh, a listener, Roger Seddon, who got in touch. Chris and I have mentioned that after this is now the 20th episode we've done in this podcast, and we've started to sort of scrape the bottom of the barrel in terms of the drinks that have a connection to shooting for ourselves. And so I put the shout out, you know, if anybody had a recommendation for something that we should try. And Roger got in touch and recommended Glen Elgin whiskey. It's a Speyside single malt. Uh, And so I duly ordered a bottle. It arrived yesterday. And I had a little taster last night. It's absolutely lovely. It's really smooth. Um, very, very dark. Uh, much darker than some of the other whiskies I've had. Um, and delicious. But I also need to shout out Roger because literally while we were recording the previous episode, uh, almost to the minute that I was suggesting the Order of the Garter as a collective name for Garter recipients, um, he had emailed while we were doing that recording with exactly the same suggestion. So I think that settles it. Spooky. Yeah, he's, uh, he's great minds, hey? Or fools. Um, <laughs> so anyway, Chris, what are you drinking? Uh, for the final episode, uh, I'm sticking to my recent tour of Kent, and I haven't gone too far up the road. I've got a Shepherd Neem Master Brew, the original Kentish ale. Uh, it's just a, it's a staple. It's a, it's a beauty. So I thought I, I'm, I'm going to venture outside of Kent for the start of the next series. And actually, just like George, I need suggestions. Uh, if anyone has got some awesome beers, I, I like beers at four o'clock on a Wednesday. I'm not really a big whiskey four o'clock on a Wednesday kind of guy. And so if you're if you've got some awesome beers that maybe even with a connection to shooting, please send them in. I, I'm going to I'm going to get online and start buying. OK, so is everybody sitting comfortably because it's time for whose bird is it anyway? And it's it's quite a long one, this, but I think it's uh, quite a good one. So. Paul, just so you know, this is uh, the segment where we ask our listeners to to write in with their shooting dilemmas or quandaries or queries, and we are going to try and decide what the moral, ethical decision is or should have been. So this is from somebody who I've decided to call Johan, uh, to keep him anonymous, and he writes, when is a peg not a peg? This was the very question that faced our guest some years ago. Our roving syndicate, made up of old university pals and other reprobates, had invited Haystack to join us on a day at a new shoot in Kent. Avid and aware listeners of the podcast may already have deduced that Haystack is a nom de plume to protect the gun's identity from potential future ridicule in shooting circles. At this point, it is relevant to explain that Haystack is not at all gentleman, but certainly is, shall we say, a gentleman of stature. Back to our small shoot day, 70 to 80 birds for just six guns. Perfect. On drawing pegs, it was noticed that Haystack had drawn the plum peg for the first drive standing right in the middle of the nine at number three. One could sense the excitement of the day and the keen guns were quick to assess the wind direction, terrain, trees, position of the cover crops and other factors that could give pointers to the best pegs. The line was in a large arc across a flattish field, enabling each gun to observe the incoming birds and the performance of the team. Guns one and two took their pegs, and then we got to peg three, at which point the host firmly asked Haystack to take his place, who hesitated before deciding it would not be appropriate to question the instructions. The remaining guns chuckled to themselves, but only on reaching their pegs did the situation reveal its full comedy value. For some reason, Peg 3 had been placed in a narrow, sharp-sided and deep pit in this otherwise pristine field. (laughs) Haystack had no view of the flushing area, nor his fellow guns, and the massive disadvantage of a sheer-sided six-foot wall of earth in front and on each side of him, meaning that he would only see the birds when immediately above him, challenging conditions for the sharpest of guns. Sure enough, when the drive began, Peg 3 was the premium position, Bird after bird took to the sky and made a beeline for Haystack. The line watched as bang after bang chased after the pheasants, and all that could be seen of our guest was the very tip of his barrels darting around the top of his pit, desperately chasing after birds he had little chance of connecting with. It was a sight to enjoy. The longer the drive, the more frenzied the movement of the barrels, always too late to connect. Why the shoot had placed Peg 3 underground was never questioned. The whole line had enjoyed the result. And when Haystack emerged, a heavy bead on the brow, he was congratulated for a fine performance. 
To his credit, he did not complain and chose to take it all in his stride and it made for the beginning of a great day. <laughs> this, this, this guy runs his shoots having a right laugh, isn't he? Well, I, I, it's, a, it's a roving syndicate, right? So the, the shoot didn't know who was turning up and they didn't know who was going to be on peg three or that he'd be short and fat. <laughs> <laughs> but you, say, you say he didn't know. He obviously he saw the gun draw. He decides the drives. I think... <laughs> I think Mike, he might have known. <laughs> I think I think it sounds like good sport. Exactly. Yeah. The question here, really, though, is if you found yourself in that situation where you're on a peg and you couldn't see, would you say to the shoot host, "Come on," or to one of your neighbouring guns who's maybe a bit taller? Would you say, "Come on, let's swap"? I'd, I'd probably say, "Has anybody got a anybody got a yellow pages in the back of the Range Rover? <laughs> I could do with it stand on." <laughs> Stand on a few sl- a few slabs of dark storm would give you give you a little leg up, wouldn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely, yeah. Only the premium. Quite a good tip for anybody running a shoot on uh, maybe some flattish ground. Get a few few extra feet under those birds by digging all of your pegs six feet down. <laughs> I just can't see that it's going to be teams turning up to this place and being like, "We're not going back there." The bloke's loopy. <laughs> just sticking everyone a hole in the field, but it, you're. It, his predicament is a genuine predicament because when I was taught to shoot by my dad, you just, you cut, you know, questioning the, the host or the owner or whoever it might be. It's just an absolute no, no, you're stuck. You get on with it. And just, it's just, it's just out of place. You can't, you can't, you can't really say anything. And therefore he's just the laughing stock of his mates. But I think that the owner knows this. And I think that he's dug this hole knowing that just whoever gets that, that peg is screwed <laughs> and he can sit there laughing from the back. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's not an exact parallel, but I've been on a on a shoot where um, up in Norfolk, where one of the guns is on a very rickety boat that tracks along abroad, and it's terrifying. I've never been so scared in my life. Not of anything, just of falling in. I was just convinced I was going to fall in every time I put the gun to my shoulder, even though I know that the recoil is non-existent. Uh, and certainly not enough to knock me backwards. Just the kind of swaying of the boat and the wobbliness and all the rest of it. But it, it's a scary thing, but it's quite an entertaining thing as well. There's a peg at uh, at Woolsey Park, for those that have been there, uh, where you, you get you have to go out on the boat and then stand up in the middle of the boat. It's got a little sort of weight you chuck out uh, and then just stand up and shoot away. But clearly everyone is just hoping that someone falls in which is obviously hugely dangerous if it does happen but i've never drawn that peg it's so annoying paul what do you reckon with this guy what's what should he do apart from his yellow pages uh well i, th- I, th- I think uh obviously the uh the shoot owner host i think it's uh it's good sport and I, I i'd like to certainly get on that shoot and stick one of my pals in there to be honest with you <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't i wouldn't be best impressed if it was myself and everybody was taking the mickey but i think you remember these days and it's all good fun isn't it so you win some you I agree. Lose. it must have been hilarious to watch yeah, I agree. I agree. I think we need to know where this shoot is. That's the next thing. Can someone email us? We don't. It, maybe he doesn't want to be mentioned, but I'd like to know. It sounds like it's down the road for me, so I'm going to have to get experience. <laughs> <laughs> right. We've had some more correspondence, uh, and uh, this one, this one's awesome. So on the uh, on the Sarah Farnsworth episode, she was talking about her her sort of desert island shooting uh, and she talked about uh, sort of going up in, into Canada to go stalking or whatever it might be anyway we we said to her at the time there's a guy who'd been in touch with the podcast uh, called Doug Manza who before who lives in that part of the world and we just said speculatively I wonder if he'd extend an invite to Sarah uh, and this came out in the podcast anyway Doug got in touch huge thank you uh, he emailed and he's now in touch with Sarah and I believe that they are going grouse shooting in Alberta in Canada off the back of that. Just little cheeky requests on the podcast, which is absolutely awesome. It's so it's an incredibly kind thing. I mean, he Doug was one of our first correspondents, if you remember. Yeah. Um, and told us that he enjoyed uh, listening to to the podcast while he was out walking his dogs. And yeah, I mean, he sent us some incredible pictures. And if if they, if Sarah is going, I mean, first of all. An incredible offer, but also she it's just the most fantastic looking place. Yeah. Um, just looks stunning. So we've also had uh, an email from James Hudson. He's been in touch uh, and he said, a big thank you for your podcasts. I've been listening from the very beginning and they just keep getting better and better. So no pressure, Paul. 
Um, <laughs> I thought I'd let you know where I'm listening from, he says. I'm sitting on an oil rig in the middle of the North Sea. When weather allows, I sit up on the helideck of an evening and listen to your podcast, which gives me a great connection to back home and my passion for all things outdoors while I'm surrounded by nothing but sea. I mean, that must be an amazing thing to do. I mean, I shouldn't think being on an oil rig for weeks on end is all that fun. But, but... that's the best place to put a clay trap. <laughs> uh, he, he's only going to be able to shoot going away clays, which limits his fun somewhat. But uh, talk about a decent place for it. And obviously, he'd have to shoot steel because there's probably an issue with depositing too much lead in the water, isn't yeah, there? Maybe. <laughs> I, think, I, I think I'd probably be happy to go to a local clay ground and not be stuck in that cabin for a month at a time. Those would be <laughs> Well, that's why he's going to be stuck in the cabin. It's all made better by listening to you, Paul. So uh, thank you to him for getting in touch. (laughs) So all of those mentioned so far are now members of the most noble order of the garters. And in the last episode, we were discussing the different levels of membership. And Paul, obviously, you become right in, right at the top level uh, as a guest on this podcast. And you get this pair of garters, which are the most exclusive gift in shooting. Uh, and well, there's no, no no ifs or buts about that but uh, Philip de Grey Water awesome name has been in touch with a fantastic suggestion he wrote read the order of the garters uh, those who've been wa- awarded their garters for a confession face savingly known as a shooting dilemma should be a class within the order known as the penitents yeah that's very good <laughs> Um, so you too could become a member of the most noble order of the garters uh, by sending in your confessions, letting us know where you've been listening or volunteering to record us a new intro tune, which is going to happen. I'm also going to get Tom Payne to do one with the triangle because I think that could become the uh, the final version. Email pod at gunsonpegs.com. Great. So, right, Paul. Now, cartridges. There are a lot of people out there who will tell you that it makes no difference what cartridges you, cartridges you use. As long as they go bang and they make lead or whatever come out the end of your gun and you point it in the right place, it's not going to make a difference. What would you what would you say to those people? I would say some people obviously shoot better than others. And uh, <laughs> you have different size tyres on cars for a reason. So uh, obviously, uh, yeah, look, there's, there's entry-level equipment out there. There's professional equipment. I would say if you're not the best shot out there, there's no point spending big money on cartridges because that will make no difference. But if you are sort of George Thigweed or anybody that takes it seriously, they do make a difference. So, Well, actually, then, but but thinking of George Thigweed here, because I was thinking about this just before we started recording. Let's say like he usually shoots like 98 out of 100, right, on a round of clays. Mm. Um, if you gave him 100 different cartridges, what score do you reckon he'd get? Well, I think whatever out of the 100 selection, if they were game bro, obviously they would be a kill. And uh, God knows for the other brands out there, to be honest, probably, I don't know, 45 maybe. <laughs> but the point's a genuine one, because if you stick with if you stick with one cartridge, doesn't it? I, 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 yeah, I would say, realistically, if, you, if you're talking about a 30-yard you know, springing teal or an easy target, he's probably going to shoot exactly the same amount. If you're then talking about, it, let's say, a 60-yard batu, yeah, and he knows where his lead pitcher is. Yes, you need to know your cartridges if you're going to hit them every time. Because this is the thing, like you see, so many guns rock up on on shoots with uh, cartridge bags of like licorice all sorts, and just like. But how many how, how many of them have you seen on the top of the scoreboard? Well, well true, but the, this is the problem with game shooting that you don't you don't really go for the numbers, but you do want to shoot well. There's nothing worse than just missing everything. But some people just don't give a stuff, which is a problem in its own right, I think, because you've obviously got ethics in here as well. So I think you've got a duty to try and have the right stuff. But but I think if you start going down this route and and having a mixture of cartridges, we're into a bit of a, you are, you are going to have a problem. I, look, I'm always going to say, you know, buy the best ammunition you can afford. But if you sort of look at game shooting, cartridges are the cheapest part by far. So this should be the last thing you're compromising on. Yeah. That's a very good point. I mean, this idea of, of cartridge roulette is what I'm thinking of it as. I think we should try and line it up with George, see if we can do the experiment. I think it'd be fun. Unfortunately, he's under contract if he sticks another cartridge in his gun <laughs> game board. He's in serious we'll, trouble. We'll white label everything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He's still not happy. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, but look, I, th- I think it's an interesting one, but we'll, we'll, I just want to ask Paul, obviously 
the, so this podcast will go out about a week after we're recording it now. Um, there's an announcement from the government recently that they're going to conduct a review into whether to ban lead shot. But I mean, in all seriousness, it's probably only going to end up being in line with the phase out that the shooting community has already signed up to. That was a five year phase out and it started pretty much this point last year. So we've got four years left. What needs to happen now to meet this target, in your honest opinion? And let's just talk about the facts. Yeah, so, so in my honest opinion, look, firstly, I'm not against steel and I'm not for lead. We're a, we're a commercial company that's you know, loading ammunition. It doesn't really matter what's in them as long as they're, they're ethical and they do the job. Um, it's a difficult one because there's a lot of people involved telling us as manufacturers, not just game board, but the rest of the gun trade in Europe, what we can and can't do. Um, only obviously we know what's available and uh, what's possible for us going forward. So it, there really is a lot of people who are sort of new experts on ammunition, which couldn't be further from the truth. We've got a bit of a, a double-edged sword at the moment um, with, with, with the steel shot. And obviously the, we've heard that they would like to see less plastics used within shooting as well. Um, firstly, I, I think the main issues we're facing is is lead for obvious reasons. Plastics is a problem worldwide for any industry. So we've we've just got to, we've just got to take one step at a time to sort of move over from lead to steel, then with a biodegradable wad, or within the let's say four year period now because we've used a year, even though that was in a pandemic, so not not a lot was actually going on with with R and D because companies like ourselves were were just trying to stay alive more than anything. So the last thing you're doing is sort of writing blank checks everywhere. Mm. So. Going back to your original question, I think we've just got to be realistic. Um, we've got to ask the right questions to the right people. And I, I would like to think that I am one of the people that knows what they're talking about. We've been we've been loading steel now for 30 years. We, we are the market leader in Europe when it comes to alternative products. But the products on the market at the moment, when, when, when I hear all the time about what the USA do and what the Danish and the Scandinavian markets do, they're not using the same product that the organizations or the government are saying that is is sort of readily available for the UK market. Um, a lot of these cartridges, or 99% of these cartridges at the moment, are, are steel with a plastic wad. They're not steel with biodegradable wads. And um, they're actually um, higher performance than what we're allowed to, to load in the, uh, in the UK market because they, they don't adhere to CIP regulations. So C- CIP actually puts a speed cap on the ammunition we're allowed to produce, but yet we shoot, we'll, or we like to shoot birds at a, an extended range. So... You take, you take the Danish market where they're doing walked up hunting, which let's say the bird is 25 yards away and they're shooting it up the backside. They can do that with a higher performance round than what we can, let's say, shoot a 40 to 50 yard pheasant with. So it's going to be difficult. But like I say, we need to be realistic. So what you're saying is the comparisons, which we keep seeing, let's be honest, in a lot of media within our community about comparisons with, with Denmark are just just pointless. Well, absolutely. Look, completely different markets, completely different style of shooting and, yeah, different regulations for, for, for ammo loading. And this is something I wanted to ask about because I'm aware of CIP regulations and I don't want to get too technical. We need to make sure that our listeners, some will be more educated than others on this particular topic. But CIP regulations is absolutely crucial because in theory, obviously, going back to sort of GCSE physics here, if you increase the speed of the steel, you can equal the performance of lead by negating the impact of the density. Is that right? You're gonna. I wouldn't say you would get up to um, as good as lead, but you, you're certainly going to improve how steel works with with speed. Yes. And you take a huge. So, so a lot of the discussion at the moment is about difference between steel and lead. And what you're what I'm getting at is you would take a huge amount of that margin of the difference between steel and lead oh, yeah. away if you increase the speed. And that's what other countries are allowed to do. In, yeah, in a, in, in, a, in a simple way of thinking, if, you, if you've got a small stone and somebody throws at you at sort of maximum velocity they can throw, throw it at, or you've got a larger stone and someone just throws at you with no effort, the, the, the smaller one's probably going to hurt a lot more and do, do a lot more damage. So yeah, it is simple physics, but what we're, what we're being asked to do at the moment is go from, let's say, lead at an average density at 11 down to steel, which is 7.8. And then load it at a slower speed. So you've got a double-edged sword at the moment, which is which is just not working for us. So these CIP regulations, is there any hope that that could change? I think I think there's talks going on in the background, which it's it's it, 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 again it's a European level discussion. It's nothing to do with the UK. Obviously, we're we're still um, taking on you know regulations within the European gun trade, etc. 
and the proof houses. But the conversations are happening. But if then if, again, if you take these markets like the US, it's 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 commonplace. If you're shooting, they call it waterfowl over there. So you're going waterfowl shooting your ducks, ducks, etc. It's normal to be taking a three-inch shell with a, a semi-automatic shotgun, which is completely different than what we're doing. We're we're classing an over and under as modern modern equipment and side by side traditional. They're classing over and unders as sort of old-fashioned and uh, semi-automatics as new technology. And this is a key key point. I think a lot of the discussion we've had in the industry about this change is about how we handle old guns. I, I use a, an old English side by side. It is rebarreled, so I can use uh, newer cartridges. And I and I've used your 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 newest uh, Dark Storm with the Bioward. Uh, but th- the point is that a lot of the old guns simply won't be able to move with the times, which is just terribly sad, but uh, it's a almost like a pill we sounds like we have to swallow. It's it, It's evolution. To keep some of the older guns alive, they can be, yes, they can be re, reproofed for steel, but then you can only use standard steel ammunition, which again, is it's slow. For steel to, mm. as I've just said two minutes ago, for it to work well, you need high performance, higher speed. Even our high performance steel loads that we can produce on the um, on the upper level that need to be used with a, a steel-proofed shotgun with a fleur-de-lis, they're still not as quick as what they can, they could be. So yeah, you can use in traditional guns a standard steel load, but they're not going to be half as effective as uh, as what a lead load would be. So I must come back to the original question because I, <clears throat> you started talking. There's so many rabbit warrens we can go down here, but yeah. in ter- in terms of this now four year target, you mentioned plastic. You're absolutely right. Lead is our biggest issue because we're producing a food that's going into supermarkets, and lead is just an absolute no no going forward. Plastic's an issue that Coca Cola have as well as Game Ball. Uh, so and Coca-Cola have got a lot more money than Game Ball to, uh, <laughs> to tackle it, and, and, and they, they still can't do it. Well, that's a fairly stark point, isn't it? It's yeah. <laughs> and so, so what what do you think might happen then? Four years from now, what what position do you predict that we're going to be in in four years' I, time? I think, look, commercially, if I can in four years' time nail every single gauge and every variant in steel with a biodegradable wad, you know, I'm probably going to be retired. If the next time you want to have a podcast with me, you know, it's probably not going to happen. Realistically, we need to go backwards to move forwards. So I think most people you speak to in shooting would say lead's not a problem. Plastic's a problem. But it's actually the complete opposite. Yeah. So in the short term, we're going to have to use a plastic wad. And the reason why we need to do it is because I, th- I think you you guys know, but some of your listeners may not. To protect the gun barrels, you need to totally enclose the steel shot within a within a wad which is going to be, have to be full walled so it doesn't come in contact with the barrel. With a fibre wad and lead, if the lead goes down the barrel, it's absolutely fine. It's not going to damage it. So you can't just say, let's load steel shot with a with a fibre wad. It has to be totally enclosed. The easiest way to do that is injection mould, polyethylene, which is plastic, make it into a, a sort of universal high production shape and, and continue. Even these plastic wads aren't, aren't available in the sort of numbers we need. So there needs to be investment into plastics as well, which is which is going to be tooling for the machines. So to go from, oh, we're not going to use plastic, we're going to completely skip it out with steel going forward to biodegradable, it's just it's just a mammoth task. So in short, we need to use steel with plastic in the short term. I'm not saying you know 20 years time we're still going to be doing it, but to make to make it achievable, we need to actually work out that lead is the main problem. Uh, and and so what's restricting the significant increase in adoption of biodegradable wads as opposed to plastic the, mat- the materials sort of not available and we we launched a bio wad last year and I know, I know one of our competitors have got a product on the market but it's it's, it's early days we, we simply couldn't the, the way they manufactured the cycle time of the materials through the machines they're just not commercially viable or the material available in it in in enough volume um so yeah like i say if if, if if you went to the supermarket every food package was in biodegradable material. Yes, we're sort of sitting on our hands and we've we've avoided making the change. But how can we, like we just said, Coca-Cola have got a lot of money compared to you know the Coca-Cola probably got more money than the whole of the gun trade put together, never mind, you know, small cartridge companies. And they can't come up with a solution at the moment. Um, so I just think we're being asked to be at the forefront and be a relatively small industry and niche when you've got huge FMCG companies that just just can't get their act together, and and again, 
if you go and get a, a let's say a lasagna in biodegradable packaging the lasagna would have perished before the packaging creates an issue we've got to develop a biodegradable substance with no shelf life mm. yeah i mean it's it's really interesting though what you're saying paul because i've been following this story you know it's my job too um mm. and i think it's the first time i've heard those particular challenges laid out as clearly as that i mean we've seen things that say oh well it's you know there's a lot of challenges and we've seen statements and various other bits and pieces but i think it's the first time i've ever heard anybody say we haven't got the materials we're not going to be able to get the materials even the replacements even the even the the the, the stepping stone to the, to the end goal requires investment i don't think anybody's ever had that laid out in quite as clear terms as that and I think I think we've gone off as an industry saying yes we can do this we can do that when when could have done a bit more fact finding um, and that's that's not the only problems we face that that is the main problems as as cartridge loaders we're not all using you know we're we're fortunate that we've invested over the years into bigger plant and machinery and we we already do a lot of steel business some of our competitors have never loaded steel in high volumes they've got machines that are solely for use with let's say soft shot lead they need to buy new machines or adapt old loading machines to, to work with new new technology, which is which is the cost. Steel shot comes from China, so it's it's not really as readily available as we're buying our lead ingots from Derby. So if we decide we need some new lead, another batch of lead ingots, we'll we'll make a telephone call within two weeks of delivered into the yard. At the moment, with the pandemic, and let's hope that we're not in this position in four years and the supply chain gets a little bit better. It's sort of very difficult to get, uh, let's say, goods that are from, um, you know, the Far East. Uh, the ship, the shipping alone has gone up three to four hundred percent due to the pandemic and supply and demand. The material is not readily available yet. These questions aren't being asked. We're having to now go right. So this is a problem. This is what we're facing. So I, I could go on and on, but the main issue I would say at the moment is is plastics. The the re- the re- the rest of the the issues we are facing because it's not just one. We can potentially get our head around in the next three to four years. And I think what's so frustrating about this issue is that with most issues in shooting, with time on your side, in hindsight time I'm talking about, you could have done something about it. With hindsight time, it would have made zero difference to this because we're actually asking for developments that aren't actually there. And that's what I find really frustrating because, as you say, we've got to be at the forefront of something. And we do. We really we're under such scrutiny that we've got to be chucking more money at this than in relative terms than than others. Well, de- definitely. And I, look, the steel on its own doesn't scare me. Uh, we've made the investments over years. We, we are sort of big in the US. We're big in Denmark. That isn't the problem. Like like I keep saying, I sound like a broken record, but it's it's, it's the plastics. But how do we invest and be at the forefront when global billion dollar companies can't figure out a solution yeah but and just coming back to steel itself i think what, what we've got to not be in danger of, of of what we're not saying here is 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 that the product's no good absolutely not at all it's yeah. just that your, your your scenario where you paint the different you know shooting in the uk is 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 hugely varied you've got all the different types going if you're talking extreme birds then yes we might be having a bit more of an issue but for 95 percent of shooting in the uk your dark storm bio wad cartridge with the quad seal is an awesome cartridge because for 95 percent of the shooting you're not going to notice a difference and actually i don't know i i picked, i shot i shot it last year on on some 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 days and i I don't know if this was just me and happened to be with these birds. It's totally anecdotal evidence, but I picked up the bird and I had much cleaner breast meat after as well uh, than, than, than lead cartridges. It might've just been luck, but uh, I certainly thought that, Oh gosh, that's an interesting observation. So, I mean, I, I, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, Paul, and it, from everything that you said now, it sounds like it might almost be a pointless question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So uh, Chris has mentioned that the quad seal and the steel variant with the shot cup, I was going to ask if you had any plans to add to that range of steel plus quad seal bio wad uh, cartridges, you know, maybe something for, for older guns. Older guns is a problem. Yes, we will make a two and a half inch steel load, definitely. But we also want to make ammunition that works very well. The last thing we want to be doing is is making products which uh, are not up to the job. So sure. I, think, I think it's a case where it's, it's a difficult one because there's a lot of expensive guns on the market. I think that people are going to need to retool by modern day shotguns. But obviously, if you want to go and keep Grandad's Purdy alive and use it on the odd 
the odd the odd day um, by some bismuth, by some tungsten. And, he, and even if everybody turned around and said, right, okay, let's let's knock steel on the head. We we couldn't make let's say a hundred million rounds of tungsten, but we could make let's say a million, two million, three million a year in time to keep some of these vintage guns alive. And and the good thing with bismuth is you can use it with a fiber wad, so we don't have that problem we do with steel being very abrasive against the uh, the gun barrel. It's a very bit. It's a difficult pill to swallow because shooting is so nostalgic, and we use such old tools and do things in very traditional ways. But it's there's so many analogies with the car market here, isn't there? You look at like the change in fuel, and then you look at like classic car meetups, and and you just think that you know they're still able to enjoy yeah. those cars, but it's just a different environment, isn't it? It is. And look and look at for instance Tesla with their with their new technology. So if they made a car and take away, let's say, a V8 engine off the road, and they're going to make this car, it's going to be a lot more expensive. Because if, if you look at Teslas, they're not, they're not cheap. You know, yeah. for, the, for the fast ones, they're worth about 100K, aren't they? Yeah. If you made that car that was inferior in performance to a petrol engine in, in general, people wouldn't get excited. They're only getting, getting excited because it's high performance. It's not 16, 2.8 seconds, blah, blah, blah. What we're, what we're having to do is, is load something that's potentially going to cost more money but not as good performance. And, and and that's where the car industry's potentially got an advantage with electric going forward. And they're still not happy about making a change. I mean, Chris and I were talking about this earlier today and the, the, the analogy with the car thing goes even further with the change from un, from leaded fuel to unleaded. And uh, part of the, the issue around, you know, why it's caused so much heated debate uh, around the place is that it's so confusing. You know, we're talking about proof marks, and, uh, you know, I had to email AYA to find out what my proof marks meant because I couldn't find out what they meant anywhere online. It's not available. You know, even uh, a table I saw today provided by one of the shooting organizations only has London proof mark, London and Birmingham proof marks on it. It's like having, you know, hieroglyphics stamped on the underside of your engine. And that's what tells you whether you can be using hydrogen or leaded fuel it's absolutely baffling <laughs> like under the fuel pump and you've got sort of 10 different octane ratings to put in your car and you're going to think right well i've got a micro and i've got a ferrari which which one do i which one do i use yeah but if you put the wrong one in it might blow up <laughs> oh, exactly. yeah. but this is this is exactly the analogy we were talking about you, you go to the fuel pump but it's like going to an unbranded fuel station and then having the fuel pump going would you like shell fuel so fuel or bp fuel and 96 98 or 97 octane and they do this or hydrogen but, yeah or hydrogen and then you rock up to a party and you've run out of fuel and someone goes i've got some fuel jaunts on mine and you're like no i don't bloody know if it could take it <laughs> i just think uh, it's, it's concerning it is concerning but uh I, i'm sure we'll find a way but i am nervous about I'm I'm nervous about accidents. You look on your website, your page about the dark storm with the steel, precision steel by Iowa, it's not the cleanest of pages on your website because you have to carry so much more information. Yeah, you've got a disclaimer on there, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So look, it's difficult. It, it, as long as, let's say, a gun is nitro-proofed, chances are it's going to be absolutely fine with standard steel. The only the only issues you're going to have if you start putting a high-performance steel load in a gun that hasn't got a flare delete. So it's it it is a bit more simple than what we were sort of joking about there. Um, you, you, your key is your chokes. Realistically, anything over a, a three point two five mil shot, you you need to be maximum half choke. That's where you're going to have the issues, and it's right. it's the momentum of the steel pellet that could potentially split the wall of the barrel or rip the choke out. Yeah. Okay, so we've got a duty to our listeners here. <clears throat> There's two things you just said. They're absolutely crucial. Check the underside of your gun for a fleur de lis. First thing. And get your chokes measured, second thing. And if they're changeable, then obviously that's easy. If they're not, yeah, go and buy a little choke if measure. If you've got a fleur de lis gun, you're not going to have any more. If it's a fixed choke, it's not going to be any more than half anyway because you wouldn't be able to use high-performance larger loads. Chances are they're all multi-choked. Your key is just making sure that you've got a nitro-proof barrel with a proof mark. Chances are it'll be fine for standard steel. And if it's high-performance steel, you need a fleur de lis. And then... If you've got a fleur de lis and you're using high performance, then over a number three shot, three shot or larger, maximum half choke. If you sort of follow that rule, there's going to be no issue. So essentially, full choke stuff's going to be a thing of the past. You can actually use full choke if you've got small sizes. So like a 32 gram five. Yeah, you can you can do that. Five, sixes, sevens, eights, nines. We we we've been through all of the uh, 
the trial and error, so to speak, with doing the Danish business 20, 30 years ago. We, we have sort of damaged guns. There is, and, the, and the guys who haven't um, got a good knowledge on steel, they, they're, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to start to damage guns until they learn what works and what doesn't work. Luckily for us, we've done all that work. And the good thing about the Danish is they don't use 100 grand shotguns. So if you have to replace stuff, it's on the cheaper <laughs> side of the, uh, the spectrum. So it, do, it does sound like, I mean, I, I don't know if what we just described is actually helpful to a listener. I might have to listen to that one back and think about it. <laughs> George? I mean, it would be pretty close to being a first for the podcast if it was helpful. <laughs> so I don't feel like we've got a, <laughs> we've got a, a, a reputation to uphold for being useful. <laughs> you're, ask, you're asking me to have 10 beers at home at four o'clock on a Wednesday and get useful information out. Thanks. It's a very, it's a, it's a stiff conversation. It's a stiff conversation over a beer, isn't it? Um, I was going to ask something, but I've completely forgotten it when you started talking about beer. You, you, you described this to me as Chris, have, have an informal chat as if we're down the pub, having a beer. And I feel like it's a degree now, but anyway, there we go. Well, okay. I've got, I've got a question that you'll probably enjoy more, which is that um, according to our census that we do every year, black gold is by quite some distance, the most popular cartridge among UK game shots. Um, so I wanted to know what you would attribute that to. Why do you think people like it so much? Uh, I'd say it's a bit like Ron Seal. It does exactly what it says on the tin. They, they, look, let's let's be real. To get somebody to use a cartridge, the marketing has to be good for a start. But then if the marketing, if it's all marketing, they're not going to rebuy. The, the key to consumer business is making sure that your customers come back each time. So, yeah, they, they do exactly what they say they're going to do with a high performance. We've got the Gordon system in that product, so it's reducing the recoil. And it's just, we are technically better cartridges. There's a lot of USPs in a game ball shell. There's a lot of brands on the market that are basically all the bloody same, that have got a different color case or a fancy box. If you look at ours, we're, we're importing powders from several different suppliers. Uh, we, we make a lot of our own components. As Chris said earlier on, we've got a lead tower. We grade our shop five times to make sure it's perfectly round. So you get in, you get in the finest lead shop, whether it's an entry level product uh, or or a top of the range product. So it's just as easy for us to send it back to the top of the tower if it's if it's not right. If you're buying lead from the continent, and you're desperate for a number five shot to go on the machine there and then, then you think, oh, it's not as round as it should be. Chances are it's not going to go back. So just just little things like that. But yeah, the brand the brand is I would say it's sexy, it's modern, it's you know it looks like it's going to do the business. For one, but obviously when you pull the trigger, it, it does do it, and that's what gives you the confidence. And you were the first people to have a non-cardboard coloured uh, slab, so when you're in the shop, it actually looked quite nice. <laughs> yeah, and a nice nickel head. I, I know everybody's got nickel heads on the on the shelves now, and everyone's got a black tube for their premium. But yeah, we I'd like to think we were the first to do it. Is that your influence? Yeah. <laughs> I've got to say, I I do love the the game board naming conventions. I think uh, I I love Black Gold, Dark Storm. It just feels sounds sexy, doesn't it? It could be a perfume. Absolutely. What you think? Yeah. <laughs> like it's like it's like that. Uh, it's like that. Is it Brute? The uh, Vinnie Jones advert that's uh, saying, "Look, just buy what bloody smells good." <laughs> fancy names and all the rest of it. A bit like that, but no, definitely on the ammunition. The branding is it's it's more than a fancy perfume. I want an invite to the next Game Board marketing meeting where we discuss the next product and come up with the naming. Okay. Any ideas? <laughs> have, you got, have you got any ideas? Oh, don't put me on the spot like that. You need you need to give me the you need to give me the the the, the cartridge that it you know the the place in the market and then I'll come back to you. Give me a give me a couple of days. Okay. I'm going to give you. I'll give you thirty seconds to think about it. What does Chris Hall need in steel going forward for his side by side, and what would you call it? <sighs> because <laughs> this is what you're doing to me you know? i mean it doesn't make any difference i don't know if you've seen him shoot but you just call it confetti <laughs> yeah exactly the, the confetti cartridge because then i've got something to blame it on that's exactly what it is <laughs> um I, yeah well i mean it sounds like i'm going to be switching from my side by side at some point in the near future uh and i i just hope I hope I just don't have to rock up with a Benelli semi-auto, if I'm honest. No, no. And look, it's, it, it, it's not going to get to that. But if you do want to go, let's say, to an, a Whitfield extreme day that not everybody goes to those sort of shoots, you do need the right tools for the job. If you're spending X thousand pounds on shooting, you're not going there to hit nothing. So at the end of the day, if you want to keep your old side-by-side in use, there is bismuth and fibre wads. And, and other tungsten, mate. 
Tungsten Matrix. Yeah, Tungsten Matrix is, is, is a great product. The only problem with Tungsten is it's sort of the material cost. You know, people think we're making, you know, one pound of shell profit. Look at the lead price. Look at the Tungsten price and fill, fill the gaps in. But so even though it's expensive, you just said as it's thousands of pounds worth of shooting, if that's your big day for your 50th birthday type thing, then who gives a damn? Because it's, as you oh, still said, yeah. it's the cheapest part. Well, yeah, price per bang. That's the important equation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's going to be, you're going to be £1.52 quid depending on your load, which obviously you're going to, you're going to think twice of what you, you pull in the trigger to, unless uh, money is no object. I know some guys, it wouldn't matter. We, we've had people contact us to make, make 18 density tungsten, which we, we, make in, we make in the States at the moment for shooting turkeys. And it's, it's, it's $5 a shell. But if you're only going out there and hunting one turkey, it's a bit of a difference than firing uh, 200 pheasants. Well, exactly this. I, I put that old fancy uh, fancy fuel in my lawnmower over the winter that's like however many many pounds a litre, but the bloody thing stays alive because of it. So I don't really care because I'm not using much of it, but I wouldn't put it in the car. So you're putting jet fuel in your lawnmower. You must, you must cut the grass pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Got flames coming out the exhaust. <laughs> I've forgotten the question I was going to ask. That's some ride on, Chris, you've got. (laughs) This is the second question you've forgotten. How many beers did you have before we started recording? Uh, uh, I didn't. It's the old master brew. It's good. (laughs) I'd highly encourage it. What percent? It's only 4%. It's because I haven't had a beer in a while, George. Sorry. (laughs) Right. I'm still vaguely in control. So... um, so, Paul, wait, I don't know much about the, the shooting that you do, but what what's your, your go-to cartridge? Do you use a different different cartridge depending on if you're shooting pigeons or pheasants? Or yeah, I, I would I, look. My sort of go-to is probably I would I would say, and your census will t- tell us the same thing. And what we're selling most of the customers is a five thirty-two. It would be this season a five thirty-two quad seal black gold dark storm. Uh, they have got the edge on the uh, the original black gold that was my favourite. And if I'm going on, let's say, a, a higher bird shoot, something like Water Priory that we're, we're sort of fortunate that's 20 minutes down the road from the office, um, one of my favourite shoots, I'd use a, depending on the time, but if you get in late season, I'd use a number 436 gram. Big tools. And in pigeons, pigeons, obviously, because I'm going to the warehouse and picking what I want to use, I still use the expensive gear. So, yeah, <laughs> so what you're saying is your pigeon cartridge is not the best cartridge for pigeons. It's the best cartridge for pigeons. I'm just I'm just giving myself an opportunity to shoot better because I'm not the best shot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I struggle to bring down pigeons with anything. I could do with guided missiles, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so buy, buy, buy the best in the range at all times, no matter what you're shooting. That's your message, Paul. You will definitely be able to take some pigeons at a further extended range. Ooh. <laughs> if you can do it chris so save your money mate and just buy some clear pigeon to be uh, <clears throat> we've had this episode and, and it's been publicly aired that i'm not very good at it so we're okay there <laughs> okay <laughs> i i want one thing i wanted to ask you, you talked about um obviously varying old guns and all that sort of stuff and, con- and condensing what we're going to be able to use you've obviously got a limited range at the moment where do you see that going go, go back to the four-year picture do you think we're going to have a much condensed version of what what we're going to be able to shoot in terms of gauges and stuff definitely um look it's four tens and all the sub gauges they're, they're, they're not great with um because obviously you've got such a small payload you do need a dense metal for them to work so they're going to be the victims i would say going forward i don't think anybody's going to be looking to invest millions into keeping the 410 market alive because you don't sell enough, so the payback on investment is just not there, which is it's unfortunate. I do know in New Zealand at the moment that on, on sort of small gauges, when they're shooting, they can actually use lead, but if they're using 12 gauge, they've got to use steel if they're, if they're, if they're sort of wildfowling. So I don't know if that's an, uh, obviously possible in the future, because like, like I say, we're loading some hellish 20 gauge and then exporting them down to New Zealand because some of these sort of heavier lead 20 gauge, like a 34 gram number three, it's going to outperform most 12 gauge, but it's a bit of a loophole. But obviously, if we're looking at lead going into the food chain, and that's the main reason for it, blah blah blah, that's that's just not going to be a possibility for us anyway. Especially if this, if, you know, there's obviously a big debate about whether it's an organisation-led change and the shooting industry, or whether it's a ban. And 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 my main concern is if if we actually want this to happen and we want to protect the quality of the meat going into the food chain. We kind of have to ban it because you're going to get birds wandering from shoot to shoot that contain lead yeah. and then go into waitrose, and we're just it's, going to end up it's in. It's all or nothing. Yeah, it's all or nothing. Yeah, I agree. 
look, the, 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 cra- the crazy thing, and I, and, I, and I don't particularly want to get into it, I've, I've just never met anybody that's had lead poisoning from eating game. <laughs> I think, where are all these people? No, well, I, I, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a known thing, isn't it? Uh, there, there's all sorts of studies, and I, I forget who it was, my dad will tell me, but my great-grandfather or whatever had 28 pieces of lead shot in his, in his stomach when they opened him up after that, he died. Is that why you've got three eyes, Chris? <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> right, uh, and you mentioned your one of your favourite shoots there, Paul. So the way we like to, to round the episodes off is to ask our guests to describe their imaginary final ever days shooting or weekend shooting. Uh, you know, money, no object, logistics aren't an issue. What would you go and do? Who would you have with you? What's the thinking? Yeah, well, look, it's... It, Obviously, been in the industry for for many years, uh, I've had a lot of opportunities to shoot with people, and shooting to me sometimes is a bit of a bossman's holiday. Even though I'm sort of itching to get out there and do, you know, shoot as many clays as I can or shoot as much game as I can, and just have fun with friends because it's it's been a bit of a crap year, hasn't it? You know, being stuck in and yeah. not doing a lot. Yeah, I would. I'm gonna I'm gonna say water priory because you just know what you get in there. You know, you're pulling the trigger, you're having fun, but. Like I've just said, I've shot with a lot of people and I've ended up on shoots with George Digweed and people who are like amazing in comparison to what, what I am at shooting, the likes of Dave Carey, etc. So what I want to do is go with some friends that are bloody crap. So this is the final time you can ever go shooting. I want to be seen as a half-decent shot rather than he's bloody useless for a <laughs> That is very good thinking. You've got to go out feeling good about yourself. I want to go out, I want to go out as a hero and everyone goes, do you remember that last day shooting we did? He was a freaking good shot, Paul was. Not, <laughs> not, not, not George Digwick going, hey, you're bloody crap. <laughs> I, I, like, I like your thinking when no one's gone down that route, but it's very true. Yeah, I'm going to go out as a hero. Yeah, the best guy on the field. Well, Paul, it's been a really interesting and a really fun chat. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Um, it's been... Uh, a great way to end the series, I think, Chris. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Uh, we're in danger of ending on a serious note, but I think that we uh, we had a bit of fun during that as well. But incredibly important episode to have recorded. So thank you, Paul, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Right. So before we go, there's a final reminder that we are having a party on the Saturday night of the game fair. Uh, and you can be there with us. It's going to be the first ever in-person meeting of the Order of the Garters. Uh, so it should be great fun. Hopefully we'll be able to record an episode of the podcast over the course of the evening as well, or over the course of the game fair. Uh, but we're also looking for anybody who can get involved with the party, somebody to uh, help us out with drinks. Maybe you're a brewery or uh, a drinks maker of some description. You can help us out, or you're in a band, or you're a fire eater, or a magician, or something like that. Drop us an email, pod at gunsonpegs.com. This is the last episode in the series, but we'll be back in a month or so with a brand new series uh, and a whole bunch more of fantastic Uh, interesting guests so do keep sending us your submissions for whose bird is it anyway keep letting us know where you've been listening keep sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving reviews and all that sort of stuff emails again to pod at gunsonpegs.com a massive thank you to all of our guests in the series and to everyone who has been in touch already over the course of the series you're all making this podcast a joy to produce and if i'm honest a lot better than it would be if it was just me and chris waffling away for an hour so until the next series thanks very much for listening and goodbye Sad times, really. I'm not sure I can wait a month. <laughs> <laughs>